I'm starting in Genesis chapter 16, and the topic is pretty profound for me because it describes my life often. What to do, repeat with me, please say, what to do when I don't know what to do. The assumption that you always know is wrong. The assumption that you're supposed to always know is wrong. There are long seasons when God leaves you in ignorance. There are long seasons when it's not in your best interest to know what to do. It's in your best interest to not know. Sometimes when you raise children and they ask you questions and they want to know certain things, you look at the child and you say, you can't know that right now. There's some things you can know, but that's another year or two down the road before I can fully explain that to you. And some questions, you know it's 10 years down the road. Even if you tried to explain it, you can dress it up, fix it up. It doesn't matter. I was at the dinner table with my niece one day, and she asked the question. She says, why does God want you to be hungry? Why would he tell you to fast? And her mother, her mother looked at me and said, well, Uncle Ricky, what'd you say about that? <laughs> there are moments when you can explain that to the best of your ability. And I, I did my best. I said, it's not about being hungry. It's about spending time with God. And, and you don't have to give up all your food. And I did my best to explain it. She liked the explanation. And I think she remembered that the rest of her life. Because some people really just get a bottom line. They don't see anything in between. And, and God knows that when if he explained certain things to you, if he told you, you're waiting 10 years before you got a husband, you'd fall on the floor and scream and yell and, and complain, oh God, that's not God, and you just wouldn't see. That's why he didn't tell you. He just made you wait 10 years. There are times that you need to change jobs. And there are times you're too scary to change. So he lets them lay you off. Because he knows you wouldn't quit on your own. So the best deal is that you get fired or something, you see. The saints in Jerusalem, they didn't really know that they needed to move. That's what they needed to do. But they didn't know they needed to move in the early church. And so they were in Jerusalem and everybody was having a party and, and God was moving and everybody was having a great time. And thousands of people coming to Christ. And the Lord looked at that crowd. He said, you guys have to move. You can't stay here. All of you can't stay here. You have to move. And so he let persecution come, and then they all ran, spread the gospel all over the world. It's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes God can't tell you because you can't handle what he'll tell you. There are things you will not believe. Can you look back in your life and remember things that he tried to tell you that you didn't believe? Come on, say amen. Are you with me? Can you remember moments in your life when you were down and out and just really, really, really not, not sure what, but he knew. He knew that over time it would come to you. But in this message, one of the things that impresses me is that there are specific things I'm going to show you that will help you figure out what to do. And it all starts with you. Come on, say it all starts with me. Today's sermon is all about checking yourself, not your neighbor, not your husband, not your wife, not your friend, not the pastor, not the church. 
This is about checking yourself. It's about looking in the mirror and seeing what you see. In Genesis 16, there is a family. They're at their wit's end. They have waited a long time for something that has not materialized, and they don't know what to do. The woman, Sarah, is totally frustrated. She's absolutely angry every day, every 30 days. She's waiting to see if she's going to have a child and no child. And after being in your 80s, you know, you just kind of get tired of this whole thing. You ever just get tired of something? You said, I'm not trying again. Don't come at me smiling. Ain't nothing. This is over. I'm tired. No more effort. No more trying. And so here she comes. And chapter 16, and she's at the point where she doesn't know what to do. So she does what all of us do. We come up with our own plan. When you don't know what to do, if you're honest, if you look in the mirror, generally you dream up your own plan. Sometimes you can't find a man, so you go find you one. Sometimes you can't find the career you want, so you make yourself one. You make yourself an entrepreneur. Now, you know you don't like to sell anything to anybody. You know that you're not self-motivated enough. You need to be on a job, but you're still trying to be an entrepreneur. You're just a broke entrepreneur. So you need to pause for a moment because Sarah didn't. Sarah didn't check herself. Sarah didn't ask for advice. Sarah got with herself and Sarah came with her own plan. And in her own plan, she decided, I know what we're going to do. And here's what she came up with. Sarah Abram's wife had borne him no children. In this culture, that was incredibly hard. People viewed you as not close to God. They viewed you as, as somehow punished by God. Now, someone sent me a wonderful question online the other day, and they said, well, pastor, I can't have children. Does that mean that I'm cursed, or does that mean that there's something wrong, that I've done something wrong? And I said, no, everybody doesn't have the same gift. Everybody can't sing. Everybody can't dance. Now, I can dance, but everybody else can't dance. <laughs> and so just because you don't have a physical gift, doesn't mean that you are not loved by God. You have to focus on the gifts you have. And there are some people who have the gift of children, and they sometimes question that gift now. <laughs> and I think you need to understand that if you don't have a gift, it doesn't mean you won't have it one day. I've seen a lot of people that couldn't have children, and then all of a sudden the floodgates opened up, and Lord have mercy. And then I've seen people that never had children and have had great lives and wonderful lives. So I want you to operate in your own gift. And here this woman is frustrated. But what's interesting is the difference with her is she has a promise from God. The promise is you will have a child. Now, that alone should have been enough. And her husband was pretty confident in that. But after they waited now for a total of 25 years. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. 25 years they waited, 25 years they tried, 25 years, 12 months in a year, figured up, trying, 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 and no children. Now, for 25 years, it started when he was 75, and she's nine years younger. Now, you know, this has been a long time. So she's finally tired now, and so she says to, she said she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name is Hag was Hagar. 
So Sarah said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. And this was a cultural choice. Here's what I want you to understand. The decision he made, they made, was not a decision that was designed to be carnal. They did not know another way because the culture they were in said, if you can't have children, then you just, I'll let you marry a maid, a Mary, and then that, that, those children will be considered my children. And that was what everybody did. It wasn't just them. The neighbors would suggest that. The friends would suggest that. The culture would say, that's the next step. I want you to, for a moment, just step back as you check yourself. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What effect has your culture had upon your choices? When you don't know what to do, what do you turn to? Most of us turn to culture. We turn to what everybody else is doing. We turn to how everybody else solves their problem. Now, they had a promise from God. They had a promise that God gave them, but notice they are not responding to that now. They now have left what God promised, and they've gone to the cultural solution. Now, Abraham's culture was fascinating because Abraham's culture was full of idol worship in the early days. And he was 75 years old when he left that culture. Now, if you've been around out of worship for 75 years, you're pretty seasoned. <laughs> Abraham was influenced by, if you study his life, a lot of cultural fears. You go to chapter 12, you'll find that when he got to the place where he saw Pharaoh, he uh, lied, because that's what they did in the culture. If, if you, you know, Sarah was his half-sister. And uh, again, he didn't want people to know that, so he, 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 didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say anything. He said, well, I don't want them to know that she's my wife, because if I tell them that she's my wife, they'll kill me and take her. So he did what everybody would do in the culture. He lied. So he, his choices, his approach to life, if you zoom in and analyze his life, he uses cultural solutions to solve problems. So let me ask you something. When you don't know what to do, do you do what mama taught you, daddy taught you, what your friends taught you, what your neighbors taught you, what you learned in school, what Americans do? What do you fall back on? Most of us, if we're honest, we're more like Abraham. We tend to do what everybody else does. If I were to ask you, for example, if you date somebody, you probably do what most people do. If I asked you what you do with your money, most people would say, I have credit cards. and Most people would say, I, I, I charge up this. And they would tell you, I don't have but this much reserve. Most people do what everybody else does. When you look at Abraham, I want you to understand this is a family that does not know what to do. And I want you to notice what they do. They do what the culture says. Here's the question, is that what you're doing? When you're mad, you act like the culture. In Genesis chapter 12, a fascinating thing happens. The Lord comes into his life and says, 
I want you to change your approach. I want you to do something that's totally different. I want you to leave home. I want you to leave all the idol worship behind you. I want you to leave all the negative influences behind you. And I want you to move to another place a long way from here. And I want you to believe me that I'm going to do something for you that's beyond anything anyone has done in your life. I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to hear the first major point here that's really important. There's two so far. One, say with me, please, say, check your culture. Check your culture. When you don't know what to do, check yourself and see if you are simply doing what everybody else is doing. If you're doing what every other wife does when she's mad with her husband, that may be why you're having the results you've got right now. If you're doing what every man does with his family, if you're doing what everybody else is doing, I've worked really hard to make sure that the temples don't do what everybody else is doing. I try not to be doing what every preacher is doing. Most preachers are tired. I'm trying to rest. Most don't work out. I'm trying to exercise. I'm trying. I'm working at it. Trying to eat right, go to the doctor, keep up with myself, know my numbers, trying to stay focused, try to take my vitamins, took them all today. Got a couple more to take at the end of the day. I'm on because I want to live. That's because when I look at the culture, that's not what everybody else is doing. So please know Abraham didn't know what to do. He, his wife, is going to come up with this plan, come up with this idea later on in life. But I want you to notice what God did for him before she came up with this idea. Because I really kind of flipped this for you for a little bit. Chapter 16 hadn't happened yet. Chapter 12, God says, listen, I want to challenge you to do something before, before you get to a cultural temptation. I want you to believe that I can do something that you have not seen done before. A 75-year-old guy can have a baby. I want you to believe, even though you're going to have to wait for this, I want you to believe that I can change your life and give you something. But you know, the key to that was him believing. In chapter 16, they, there's, a, there's a pause in the belief. In chapter 16, there's a change. Chapter 12, God says, no. I want you to believe me. I want you to know that I'm going to bless you above all the stars in the sky. You're going to have so many kids you can't count them. It's going to be an amazing life. But you know the problem is there's always that temptation to stop believing. So here's what I want you to say with me, please. You ready? Say, check your culture, check your culture. and check your beliefs. The big thing that's happening in chapter 16 is he's now starting to doubt what was said to him in chapter 12. When you don't know what to do, what you need to do is go back to what you believe. So let me ask you a question. What do you believe? Now, he finds himself later on in chapter 17 and 18 as you go on through Genesis. But I want you to notice chapter 16, this is why I started with it, because this is the place where culture challenges his belief. When you're fine until you get to a place where you don't know what to do. He's fine until he gets to a place where he's challenged. 
It wasn't until he got to, to the place where he was facing Pharaoh and he was traveling through the land and they had a famine and he was trying to find places to eat and Pharaoh looked and saw his wife. It's in that moment, fear gripped him. And he thought, man, you know, he might kill me. So what does he do? He leans on culture. He lies. Later on, when Sarah can't have a child, what does he do? Leans on culture, gives in. It's over and over, and later on, he's going to do it again. He's going to say, Lord, you know, I've been waiting for a long time, and this guy who's my servant is going to end up with all my stuff, and I'm still not going to have any kids. And so he's leaning on culture because he's fearful that all of his stuff, and so he prays to God. He says, Eliezer, this guy's going to end up with all my stuff, my head servant. And the Lord looks at him and says, no, Abraham, that's not going to happen. But notice, all these instances were, 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 uh, was a man leaning on culture, and that's what we do. Whenever we don't know what to do, we stop believing. So here's the big thing you've got to do when you don't know what to do. Check what you believe. Say that with me, please. Come on. Check what you believe. Say it again. Come on. Check what you believe. I promise you, it's at this time of your life that you are the most vulnerable. It's when you don't know where the money's coming from. You don't know how you're going to fix the strife. You don't know what's going to happen to you physically. When you're at the very crossroads of your life, it's in that moment. It's in that moment that what you believe is important. So let me help you check what you believe. Three simple questions. Now, be careful because here's what you tend to think. You tend to think, I said the sinner's prayer. That means I believe. I go to church and I sing and I lift my hands. That means I believe. No, no. When you get to a point where you don't know what to do, that's when we can check what you believe. Number one, what do you believe or accept is true? Say that with me, please. Come on. What do you believe or accept is true? In chapter 16, when Abraham was told by his wife, listen, I'm tired of this. Let's give up. In that moment, she did not accept to be true that she was going to have a child. She did not believe that. And so please note, her actions told the story. How do you really know when you believe? How do you really know when you trust God? How do you know? Well, is your culture the only thing that you fall back on? If your culture is what you fall back on, then that means, that means you believe in the culture. If you fall back on what God told you, then you believe what God told you. Now, again, the culture is what we see. The culture is in front of you. The culture is what your friends are going to tell you. It's what everybody says. When you don't know what to do, that's the moment you learn the most about what you really believe. And here's how you know it. What you do is what you believe. Say that with me, please. Come on. What you do is what you believe. What you do says a whole lot about what you believe. And so what I've learned is this. I look at what I do. And what I do tells me what I believe. You don't believe in tithing. You can't believe in it because you don't do it. I told somebody the other day. I said, if I told you, and every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we gave away $10,000. How many do you think you'd come? Your hands aren't up. Why not? Every Wednesday night, if you knew that they gave away $10,000 and overcome by faith, you would not miss a Wednesday night. 
Some of you would leave your jobs and say, I don't have to go back to work anymore. Because <laughs> every <laughs> but I don't miss church. I go to church every Wednesday night. And you look for your check when you walk out of here, and you probably wouldn't tell anybody. If it gets too crowded and the checks start going down, you start telling fewer people, no, you don't need to go to church. Come on Sunday. Come on, say, what I do is what I believe. Come on, say it again. Say, what I do is what I believe. Abraham, in the early days of his life, in chapter 11, chapter 12 of Genesis, showed signs of a believing man. He, he was fine. He was moving in the right direction. And there were, there were signs that he was on the right road. This was a guy in his early life who had a season when he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to change. And God spoke to him. And God looked at him and said, hey, I want you. I want you to leave here. And I want you to pack up and I want you to move your entire family to a new place. Now, I want to tell you, that's a, that's a, if you've never done that, that's an amazing experience. To pack up and go someplace new and start all over again. New house, new friends, everything. This was a guy who so believed God, he did it. And that was an amazing decision. And so what you see in Genesis chapter 12, he was willing to move his entire family. He picked up everybody and everybody moved. And when he moved, he challenged his family. They moved from being an idol-worshiping family to a God-fearing family. So not only did he, did he challenge them to move, he challenged them to start believing. So all this stuff is going in the right direction. Then you find that all of a sudden, though, when he moves and he's on the way, problems come. Here's what I believe happens. When a person believes, when a person sets their mind and they say, I, I'm going to trust you. I don't know what to do on my own. I'm not going to do what everybody around me is doing. I'm going to believe you, God, and I'm going to try something new. I'm going to give my life to you, and I'm going to take all that I have and trust you with it. In that moment, something profound happens. When you decide that, all your routines have to change. All the things you do every day have to change. Now, here's the, here's the key. People who are confused about what to do oftentimes have a hard time making this step. They have a hard time making the step of believing. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God wants to elevate your life. God wants to do amazing things for you. But he can't because you don't believe him. You don't believe that he's able to take your life in a whole new direction. But can you imagine Abraham coming home and saying, hey, Dad, listen, this, this was his dad, too. Dad, name's Terry. Hey, look, Dad, I'm, I'm, I, God wants me to move. And all this idol worship stuff, I've got to stop. There's only one living God. And I just, I just can't live this way anymore. And so, I'm, you know, I'm, whether you go or not, you know, I, I can't stay here. So he packed. They, they, they agree with him. It's amazing. When you start believing, other people start believing. When you change, other people change. You're praying for your family to change, and they're waiting for you to change. And they don't believe you've changed because your routines have not changed. So you check yourself. You check your culture. You check what you believe. 
but you also check your routines. Because the routines signal to everybody, this is not a drill. This is not something we're pretending. This is not something we're just saying. This is something I really, really mean. And so he tells his family, they all pack up. Now, can you imagine? This is not a few people. This is dozens of people. This is this is in-laws. This is his, this is his brother. This is his, his nephews. Everybody changes because one man believes. I want you to hear this. Everybody changes because one man believes. Can you say it with me, please? Come on. Everybody changes because one man believes. Ernestine Dilworth changed. One woman changed. One woman got sick, was dying of cancer. One woman. How many did I say? One. That one woman changed. That one woman prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That one woman said, I don't want to die. When cancer was killing people on the left and the right, in the culture, you just went on and got your casket. The culture said, you can't fix this. The culture said, when you fall on the floor and you're bleeding, you might as well just get ready to go. But somehow this woman, listen, nobody told her this. She watched somebody on television who was saying something that the culture wasn't saying. The culture wasn't saying he's a healer, but she saw somebody on television named Oral Roberts. That's who she saw. I'll tell you his name. And he was saying, God can heal your body. And she sat there and said, I believe that. And he gave her some healing verses. And she started quoting the Bible and she started saying, I declare that I will have life. And she started quoting Psalm 91 and she kept on reading it over and over again. And that wasn't enough. She wrote them out. She wrote them out longhand and put them on her wall. And every morning she got up, she read it out loud. She said, I'm not dying. I choose life. And she kept on, and then she had the courage to get on a plane. She invested her money. She flew down to Tulsa. She went down there to a service, and she came back speaking in tongues and smiling and said, I believe I'm going to live. One person. I don't care if you believe in all that or not. It doesn't matter. This whole church is here because of her. I'm not confused. I'm real clear. And so she came back and she looked crazy. So they say she was smiling and she had a smile on her face. And this is how she used to shake her head. Just like that. She smiled and shake that head and point that finger. And I'm telling you, man, after a while, she said, I'm going to get me a prayer line. And she started praying for people. She said, I believe that God can heal. And before you know it, her cancer went in remission. And then she really set fire in. Oh, boy. When she left that doctor's office and there was no more cancer, she was, you couldn't stop her. She was a train. And she said, I'm going to start me a Christian school. And I'm going to do this. And we're going to start a church. And they didn't believe in a lady preacher. She said, well, I'm going to preach anyway. I'll preach until God bring a man along. And then she said, I want a specific man. I want a black man who's going to Bible college. That's what she prayed for. They didn't know any, but she said, that's what I want God to bring me, to take over this church. And then God sent Ricky Temple, a black man who'd been to Bible college. Think about this for a minute. Who wasn't even supposed to go to the church. A friend of mine was speaking for them, and I came to this church at a 4 o'clock service on a Sunday. And walked in and walked in the door. And there I was, and Diane was up speaking. And she looked back there and saw me, and she started to shake. 
No, no, that ain't, that ain't what happened. That ain't what happened. That ain't. No, that's, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Thank you, Father. I give you praise. <laughs> Come on, say one person believed. One person believed. One person believed. One person said, I don't have to live like this. I'm not going to die. And let me tell you, once she got healed, once she was better, man, you couldn't stop her. She started a prayer line, soul free prayer line, started praying for people. Started a prayer meeting around the house. Before you know it, 45 people gathered. And then before you know it, they moved to a building, got faith and moved to a building. Then they moved to another building. And by that time, Diane had married that handsome man. And then she prayed and she prayed and she asked God and, and, and somewhere around 1980, December 17th, the married moved back to L.A. I came down here on, 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 on Christmas break. When I got down here on Christmas break, I, I told Diane, we drove off. I said, you might as well tell them all goodbye. They were all in the yard looking sad. <laughs> Mother, sister, all of them just crying. It was crying. It was just sad. <laughs> and I was smiling. Yes. Hallelujah. I am leaving Savannah. I'm going back to L.A. I don't plan to be back here. And I left, and I drove off in that red firebird. She had a bad car. Let me tell you, that's not why I'm married now, but she had a bad car. She had a bad red firebird. Lord have mercy. With beige interior, that thing was sweet. I'm telling you, with a little sunroof, you know what I'm talking about? a bad car. Anyway, I, when I saw her, I looked at her and said, woo. And I saw the car. I said, yeah, she's a bad car, too. Pretty girl. Just got to marry. Got to marry. Anyway, so. We drove off. Six months later, I'm back. Twelve months later, I'm the pastor. Come on, you know God is, God is amazing. Come on, say one person believed. There's something about that, I'm telling you right now, but let me tell you what made it work. She changed. She changed her routines. She changed what she did. She went from acting fearful to faithful. She went from just saying what everybody in the culture was saying to saying what God was saying. She went from being insecure to being secure. There's something that has to happen in you if you want to change your circumstance. When you don't know what to do, you've got to become the only believer. You've got to become the only person who believes. And then when you believe, here's what's going to be proven. You change. Your routines change. Now, God is a God of routines. God, doesn't, God can do a lot of things instantly. I love this principle. It's in Genesis chapter 1 where the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, but he did it in six days. How many days did he do it in? He could have done it in one. But he was showing us something. I want to do this day by day. I want to do a little bit at a time. I want to show you how I work. I work in systems. I do things little bit by little bit. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. There's a reason for that. Seventh grade, eighth grade. Each year you grow, you get stronger. And he says, on the seventh day, I stopped. And I want you to understand he did it in weekly increments. You need to know that the way to change your life is to establish weekly routines. If you analyze Ernestine Dilworth's life up close, she had a life of prayer. That was weekly. You could point out, this is prayer day, prayer time. This is study time, prayer time. Anybody that believes changes their routines. If you want to see God change your life, you don't know what to do, let me tell you where it's going to start. 
It's going to start with you believing God and changing your routines. You cannot do what you routinely do. If you routinely follow the cultural way of talking when you're angry, that's not believing. If you routinely act the way you've always acted, that's not believing. If you really believe, you change. Now, I'm telling you, that's been a revelation for me. That's been a revelation for me because, I, you know, I, I'll tell, I'll say I believe stuff, but my, my, my routines don't change. So if you routinely do the same thing, that means you're not believing. And so when you don't know what to do, here's the first thing you do. Change what you believe. If I don't know what to do, I need to go to God and say, God, show me what to believe. I need to believe something. I need, and then I need my routines to change. So let's say it's your marriage. You don't know what to do with your marriage. Say, Father, I can't change myself. Can't change my wife. I can't change my husband. I can't change anything. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to help me. My belief system has to change. My approach to this relationship has to change. My attitude has to change. And therefore, I'm expecting that my routines will change. For example, something very simple, saying hello and smiling. Simple things that you can do to change your routines. If you don't like your job, let's say you hate your job. Let's say every time you go to your job, you need to pray for a few minutes before you go inside. Let's say you can't stand your house. Let's say every time you go home, you just, just tighten up every time you come in that little cabin. You just can't stand it. Here's what I want you to do. Well, a couple of things you can do. First of all, go stand outside all night. You might like inside. <laughs> just, go stand, just go hang out outside. Just stand there. That, that'll help you. Don't, don't leave. Just stand outside. Just get a chair. Just see how I feel out here. But what you do is you change your routine. I, I, I made it, I made it a, a, a practice. I say something positive about everything in my life every day. Something positive about me. You're looking good today, Rick. You might have handsome. I like your shirt. You might think that's small, but that, you'd be surprised. Some of you have a routine of saying something negative about yourself every day. You don't believe in yourself. You don't believe what God said about you. And so God wants to bless you, but he can't bless you because you don't believe what he said about you. Your belief system is wrong. You think you should be at another level. That's the problem. And so you, you, you believe that, you, that, that, that something's wrong with you. And because you think something's wrong with you, you routinely talk about something being wrong with you, and you think something's wrong with you. So what you need to do right now is say, let's change that. Here's what I'm going to do. I've been acting like I don't know what I'm going to do about this job. Here's what I'm going to do. I believe that I need a job. How many say amen to that? And I don't have another job to go to. Come on, do you have another job to go to today? If you don't have another job to go to, then I believe that I need to stay on this job. So what I'm going to do is change my routines. I'm going to go in here today Tomorrow, and scare everybody. And you're going to say something, I believe I'm supposed to be here. I believe it's God's will for me to be here right now today. Because I know I need this paycheck this week. Come on, say amen. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to embrace this moment. And my words and my actions are going to routinely change. 
I'm going to change my attitude toward the supervisor, and I'm going to, I'm going to put this in God's hand. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The problem we have is we don't realize that because we've been one way so long, we have developed a negative belief system that's working against you. And what's followed up with that is you've now got routines, facial expressions, attitudes that go along with that belief system. And so God's trying to bless you. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. If you have a good attitude here, somebody's going to come here and recognize you, and then they're going to hire you away from here. But if you got a bad attitude here, they're not going to ever hire you because when they see you, they know you're not the answer they've been praying for. <laughs> so I want you to lift your hand and say it with me, please. Come on. Say, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I believe. God has a plan, has a plan for, my life. for my life. Come on, say, I believe, I believe God, has God has a plan for me. Father, I declare in Jesus' name that everybody here today will pull on the side of the road and check themselves. Have they fallen into believing the cultural solution? Abraham was doing fine for a minute, and then all of a sudden he ran into a problem, and he started lying. Then he ran into another problem, and he started falling back on the cultural answer. The cultural answer was, get a maid. Let her have a baby for you. That's the way you solve it. Get a surrogate mother here. That's the culture. Here's a man, Lord God, who was doing good for a minute, but he lost his way. It's like a lot of us, because he didn't know what to do. But you kept telling him one thing, believe. Believe what I tell you. Believe when you can't see. And align your routines with what I told you. I want you to hang in there for 25 years. I want you to hang in there until I bless you. I want you to hang in there and believe me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I declare. Even when we can't see our way, it's not walking by sight. I want you to put your hands down. I want you to hear what I just said to you. Didn't he tell you you don't walk by sight? What do you think that means? That means you're not going to see it. It's one of the main reasons he said it, because you can't see it. It's impossible for you to see it. Go back in your mind and think about something God did for you that you couldn't see, but he did it. Go back in your mind and think about a time when you could not see. No way this could work out. I've had some trials. I've had some challenges. I've had some financial issues. I've had some things happen in my life. I couldn't see how, but God knew how. There are times in your life that God, God has a plan for you. And there are times in my life, which is interesting, I believe the wrong thing. See, now that, that's, that's an important point for me in this sermon. I, I, was, I, was, I was believing, but I was believing wrong. I had routines, but I had the wrong routines. I had routines that were working against God's blessing in my life. I had habits that were working against God's desire to prosper and bless me. And I was sincere. So you can be sincerely wrong. You can be a praying person. And, and, and this is really important for religious people because you know God so well. And you're so close to God and you hear the voice of God. You better be careful about that kind of stuff. Don't listen to anybody. Go off on these tangents. I've seen people leave their jobs. I've told some pastors to go back to work. And I'm going to tell you right now, if y'all can't pay me, I know where I'm going. 
to another job. I'll come here and preach, praise God, but I promise you, I may have to come in in my work boots, but I'm telling you. They, they're believing, but they're believing wrong. I was talking to one, one leader a couple of years ago, and it's, he told me, Pastor, he's, he had a big ministry job, touching thousands of people, but they weren't paying him anything. And I told him, I said, they can't afford you. He went back and got him another degree. And he went and got him a good paying job. He talked to me last year. He said, man, I thank God for you. He said, boy, I tell you, my wife's so happy. She said, call him again. Call him again. Call him again. Every now and then, you got to be honest and say, you know, I'm believing something, but you know how I know it's not working? Because of where I am right now. Maybe I've been believing the wrong thing. I need to check myself. Have I fallen into a Christian cultural norm? There are church cultural things people tell you. You can get into a cultural habit and cause yourself to have a disease you don't have to have. The way you eat, the way you take care of yourself, the way you, the way you respond to people. You can wreck your own family because you don't take nothing. That's your culture, see? You got to say, Father, I come today and I'm willing to pack up like Abraham. I'm willing to move my whole family to another place. And Father, I want you to light the fire in my heart. I want you to show me. I want you to guide me to a new place. I want everybody to stand for just a moment. Father, I believe by faith that your, your word today has touched somebody here and somebody at home. Somebody's going to look at them, their lives and they're going to say, you know what? Maybe I need to check myself. I did not know what to do, but today, Pastor, I have a starting place. I'm going to make sure that I have not fallen into a cultural trap. I want to I check my routines to see if my routines reflect what I say I believe. And if they haven't, I want to change. But I can't change on my own. I need your grace. Hallelujah. I need your grace, Lord. I need your presence in my life. Can you just worship God for a minute? Father, we need you today. We cannot change ourselves without your help. We can't make a difference, Lord God, without your help. We can't see without you guiding us and helping us see. In the name of Jesus. Now there's another key to this. When you don't know what to do, you got to check what you believe, but you also got to check your fire. Why is it that you don't have that fire you used to have? What happens to people? that turns that fire down low. You used to be really excited about God. You were totally committed to God. What, what, what is it that, why is it that some people, I mean, they burn with fire. I, I believe that there are certain things that you can do that will cause your life to catch fire. And I believe that that is a key to knowing what to do. Some people, you've seen them, they'll have a moment of great confusion, but it's almost like they light up and it, it, it seems as if their troubles burn away faster than yours. 
Why did yours just smolder and stay? Could it be there's something wrong with your fire? Tomorrow night I'm going to tell you what I think it is. So let's pray. Father, let this night be the night we leave here with our hearts open and our minds open. And we declare by faith that you alone will bring healing and blessing to us. You alone will cause something to happen between now and the end of this week. And when, where we did not know what to do, we will now have a formula to look at our lives and find an answer that will guide us to a new place of healing and victory in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. You glad you came? Thank you for coming. God bless you.